the Silver Voices Project, which allowed for digitization and sharing of this archival audio, was made possible by a grant from the U.S. Institute of Museum and Library Services, grant number MA 3019068119. This thing runs forever. Oh, yes, that's oh, how much does a box like yeah. that set you back? Oh, that. Uh, that's about three hundred dollars. No, it's, it's not bad at all. Three hundred dollars compared to what you get for your little camera. And what is it? It's a it's a Sony TC eight hundred and it has four speeds. I mean, if I had to, I could run all day in one tape, you know, practically, because it'll run extremely slow. Although that you usually can't find another machine <laughs> that'll go that speed. You know. Now, will this uh, pick you up also? And, and yeah, it has a self-leveling thing. Oh, that's great. Where it adjusts. It's amazing. You know? It's like, it's magic as far as I can tell. Francis, get me some water. Yeah. I have a, I have a problem in the last few years. My throat gets very dry, and I wake up in the morning and my throat just... Uh, yeah. Well, um... So you may, uh, you may have to set the treble up someplace to hear me. Well... We can just pause, there's no problem uh, at all. The, uh, I actually, I find, uh, maybe it's just the climate and the altitude, but I, uh, I find, uh, in, a, in, a, in a way, the same, I, my nose seems to want to stuff up for some reason. I feel, I, yeah, I would, I would like it myself, actually. I feel a little, a, little, a little dried out. It takes more water, yeah, and, it, and uh, in case you have any other problems, not yet. We'll, 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 we'll do the managing after a while. Okay, you know <laughs> what they are. What, what, what is that you're referring to? Uh, if you get into no, the it's, other... It's, it's just really. an no, you, you, you get into a different area and... Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I shouldn't... And, you think, and people think that they're having uh, some you know, problem with... Uh, well, something's actually bothering them. Mm. But all it is, it's... Just the allergic conditions and everything acts just a little bit. Just, yeah, brought out a little bit by the time. See, the, the difference between now and man years ago, years ago a man thought he was sick or he was healthy. Mm -hmm. And now we know we're somewhere in between all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. It's true. Well, so this is my question. I, uh, I was expecting maybe the altitude was going to affect me, but it's not that extreme. And I guess Tucson is about... 2,000 feet, 1,700 feet. Yeah. And so yeah. Rochester, or two, a few days in Tucson, then up here wasn't Actually, too bad. Actually, that was good. That was good for you. I mean, if you're sensitive at all. Because yeah. uh, I, I drove out to New Mexico uh, four or five years ago to Albuquerque, which I guess is around 4,000, uh, the city itself. Uh, Albuquerque is exactly a mile high. Just is it? Like is it? Town. Exactly. And I had, uh, you know, headaches and so. really tired for a day or two until I got acclimated. And it was, uh, it was, uh, Kind of surprising time. But uh, these long trips that people take, you know, are driving are pretty exhausting too, and they never count that. Most people, you know. Oh, yeah. I, especially when you're young, you say, what the hell, it shouldn't make any difference, you know. But it does. Well, I'm, I'm at the point now where I've realized it does, because I've driven uh, long, you know, 14 hour drives. I used to think nothing of that. I used to live in Boston, I'd go to visit my parents in Detroit one drive, you know. But I'm, mm. I can feel myself slowing down on that now. It's well, why, uh, why don't we turn the tables a little bit uh, um, here and, and
you tell me a little bit, then I'll find out gradually as we go along. Um, About myself? Yeah. Okay. Now, is this, does this level pick that level pick it up? Sure, yeah, let's Something that was given to them, supposedly perfectly good shape, you know, they naively yeah. show up, you know, and then I, I find out I've done more talking into, into dead tapes. <laughs> yeah. you know, no, I. Uh, I uh, gone over it and done over. Uh, I've used that already in interview situations, and I've uh, uh, last night I cleaned it very carefully with alcohol. Yeah, yeah well, I, again, I'm curious about your background. Okay, well, personal, that's well, a fair question. Uh, because it'll sort of unwind and, and show up sure. in, in this thing. Well, as we go along. Um, uh, I think uh, maybe. Well, I won't. How'd you get into this kind of a world? Yeah, I, I shouldn't attempt to generalize about other people's no, experience. My own uh, experience was funny. I, I, uh, as an undergraduate, I did, uh, I did uh, coursework in political science, and in social sciences and psychology generally, and also in Asian studies. At the time, but I had, um, since high school, actually, I'd been interested in film, and in photography in general, and I finally decided actually during my senior year in college that that was in fact really what I wanted to do and that political science was a very interesting mental discipline but not what I was going to do for the rest of my life or as I saw it then. So I, uh, I went from graduating to being an undergraduate again at an art school, uh, the Merrill Institute in Baltimore. And the main person I... What's the name of the place? The Maryland Institute. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, and the main person who was there at the time was a man named Jerry Stephanie. Oh, great, great. Jaro Mayer yeah, Stephanie. A very nice guy. Who is a very nice guy and a very, uh, I think, dedicated oh. teacher. And Is he still there? He's now teaching at another school in Baltimore area. He left there for because of administrative problems. No. But, um, and he was very good in terms of sort of opening people up and myself... Um, included to different ideas about what was possible and different ways of looking at photography that I had not conceived of until then. So I, I just spent one year there. And then I um, was out of school. I had to do a thing because of the draft. I worked at a halfway house for ex-convicts in Boston for two years. And during that time, kind of absorbed what was going on in Boston a little bit. Um, not very directly. I was sort of too shy to get directly involved, like to meet mine or any of that sort of thing, but, you know, kind of soaked up what was going on, and at the end of that period of time, uh, applied to graduate school in photography, and then and did a graduate program at Ohio University, which maybe not the best place I could have done it at, but I did anyway, and, and uh, at that point I met the two fellows who worked with me on this article, and on a number of other projects, and um, we did a book, uh, which was called Photography, Source, and Resource, which was a kind of a curious book. And in fact, if my luggage hadn't already weighed 82 pounds, I was going to bring you a copy of it, but between the recorder and everything else, it was, you know. I have either seen it or... Yeah, it's a big kind of yellow book, and it's a, it's a curious blend of things, but it was an attempt to sort of say, look at all this different stuff that's happening. It's all part of photography, you know. And uh, the... Uh, out of that book, as, as that book was done and was sort of sent out into the world, we began to think about other things to do that we wanted to do. And we had done a lot of interviews for that book, just kind of brief interviews really to a specific issue, uh, like asking people about teaching and having certain questions we asked a group of different people, you know, that kind of interview, a journalistic sort of an interview. And we thought, 
that, gee, there's always a lot of information you get that way that you can never use in a, in a situation where you're really going right to a publication, you know. But there's a, there's a residue of stuff that's of value, not maybe so great a value that you want to publish immediately, but it's there, you know. And we became interested in the idea of kind of formalizing that process, which is really all that the term oral history means. Um, <clears throat> and then we said, well, okay, we should do a project. There are certainly plenty of people uh, about whom the documentation is really very sparse in photography. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's sort of got to change, it seemed like. And so we, um, we went and did the, the work for this article uh, to find out what had been done. And we wrote a huge proposal, which we sent to the National Endowment, which was roundly defeated. And we said, this is awful. And we started getting sort of thinking, well, we should just do something anyway on our own. Um, and so we did a, a single interview kind of as our own pilot project, call it. Uh, and we interviewed uh, Bernice Abbott. She was in the eastern part of the country. Uh, her work seemed to be very uh, simple in terms of the issues. And it was part one of the reasons we chose her. Um, and uh, she was kind of out of the limelight and retired, living up in Maine. And we thought, well, you know, she would be a good person. And uh, um, everyone, I think, is so different <laughs> that there's no such thing as a person who's easier or harder to interview, really. Uh, but at the time, we, we felt that that was the case. And so we didn't, you know, we went ahead and, and tried it. And we spent uh, nine or ten months while we were both working at other things. I was teaching at a small college part-time in Ohio. And uh, Dave Tate, who was the other fellow, was working on a kind of a highway research project. <laughs> Curious thing, but that's what he was doing in Pennsylvania. We kind of collaborated on scraping up everything we could find about her and contacting her and arranging it. We spent four days with her in the summer of 75. And that was sort of our first real effort. And that was about um, about 18 hours of tape. And, uh, and that's actually right now, she is now going over the, the transcript of that sort of the final version. And, um, in between doing that, we went to Eastman House and we said, uh, we'd like to do this project. And is there a particular, um, you know, can we do it with you as a host institution? Because we, we knew that that would greatly increase our chances of getting the funding. You know, and, they, and uh, I was kind of surprised when Doherty, who was the director, said, sure, let's do it. You know. And so a month later, we had a proposal overhauled for the Eastman House thing and submitted in this incredible time lags in this thing. We submitted it in May and we heard in the following March of this year that we were going to get part of the money we asked for um, and which ends up amounting to uh, my time for a year basically plus the other two people are working kind of on a consultant basis. They're each going to do one interview um, and uh, so that started in July and uh, that's kind of, kind of brought me up to this. It's a uh, I think, kind of accidentally, my background has uh, somewhat suited me to it in that the kind of strong, or at least the emphasis on academic preparation initially, you know, and sort of reading and writing skills. And actually, I went to a prep school that was probably better than the college in some respects. You know, it was very, very You're lucky. That's in, into that. And yeah. I, I, I'm surprised now at how, how important that seems to me still. Yeah, I, you know. I, 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 talked about that on my own, luck in a way. Yeah, and, and then going into the photography afterwards, I think I had 
certain tools for understanding things that a lot of photographers didn't want to bother with, you know, or, or didn't understand clearly, or couldn't, you know, and whatever. So I'm in this kind of a, you know, it's two, I have a funny, I mean, two people who are really historians, I'm sort of, I'm a, somebody who is an amateur picture maker attempting to be a historian, and to photographers, I'm, uh, you know, a historian who tries to make things, so I'm kind of straddling the fence, and I, I enjoy the, the balance, although well, it sometimes gets dizzy. But um, I think uh, that for this particular kind of project, I think it would be very difficult for someone who was trained only as a historian to, to really see pictures, or, or at least that would be a drawback, potentially. And likewise, someone who is simply a you know, well-versed uh, photographer, I think, would have problems doing the kind of tedious preparation work and you know, looking at the finding all this, this kind of bibliographical mm -hmm. things. You know, and sorting out issues, and um, so maybe I don't know. It's just that's <laughs> sort of sort of how I got got to the whole thing. It's kind of kind of funny. Uh, I missed the beginning of this. Where, where is it? You're from? Uh, from at what point? Did you grow up? Detroit, Michigan. Detroit. Is where I'm, my father works for the Ford Motor Company. You know, classic Detroit, Michigan. Very Detroit. Anyway, well, listen. Let me let me turn the tables back, and and begin. I have I have just in case you wonder what the heck all this is. What I have here is uh, a bunch of questions that I prepared, which may or may not be appropriate. Frankly, I'm you know I'm not certain in all cases. I've tried to anticipate certain things that I really probably can't you know, and um, there's no need for us to stick to a strict linear. I think, in fact, I think that gets boring. Um, and at any point when a particular issue comes up, we should just go into that. Um, I prepared uh, a chronology of your life. Just really, it's a composite, and I have a copy for you. It's a composite, really, of uh, various printed accounts that are, you know, it's three or four different ones, and, and plus some things that I uh, came through in my travels and contacts with people. And I thought you might look at it, uh, not perhaps so much right now, but um, after I leave today, you might, you know, look at it, and things might come to mind that I wouldn't otherwise think of. And then perhaps tomorrow we can talk about those, or you know, that sort of a, a use, uh, just as a, you know, just as a reference point. And there may even be things that are incorrect. Now this, uh, this, uh, this came out. Of, some of this came out of the uh, Tucson. Some of this came out of the tapes that Harold had made. This first page, particularly, of course, there's a level of detail there that isn't in the others because of that. And um, like my first, the first kinds of questions I have are really just a supplement to uh, that those tapes because they certainly covered most of the ground. Uh, there were a couple other, you know, questions that I had uh, about that early period that you, that you do talk about on those tapes. Uh, if you'd like to look at that for a moment. Like to look at this one. Yeah, you have another copy there. I don't have another copy. Well, I, this one I'd like to hand, but let me just snap oh, it sure. to look at it. Oh, just get back to me here. after you glance through it. There's, there's only a few things in there that really aren't uh, pretty much out of those tapes or the written record. Uh, you should take out that Long Island. I, I uh, don't think that that was. Uh, 
that was a place he went, but not he, anywhere. Yeah, I did not. Uh, you, you may keep that. Yeah. You know, Let me just. You know, if I might as well. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll strike it out right now. Yeah, here. I can just strike it out on this copy. Then the other thing is, I think I said to you on the I phone, worked on some of the plans with some of these things, you know. But, but you didn't you travel didn't always to travel. Oh, I see. Okay, well, the, uh, the other thing that I have in terms of the interview is that I have a small rear projection uh, slide machine. And there are points at which we can look at some slides of things. I have some material that relates to landscape architecture, and I have some material that relates to different different kinds of areas, and we can you know, look at those. And that might be interesting. It might be a dead end, but I think it can be interesting to try. Let me make a note on this copy, if I may, there, just a thought. Anyway, let me uh, let me ask you these things I, uh, about the the Brazilian part of uh, your life that uh, had occurred to me uh, after the listening to the, the tapes that Harold made uh, with you. Yeah, I'll look at that. And uh, this is a these, some of these are very very simple informational kinds of things. Really, a, a lot of them. Huh? Uh, for example, I uh, wondered what your what your mother and father's names were. That was never mentioned. I just thought that would be a. a oh. Uh, Julia was my mother's name, and uh, Carlos, my father's name, Carlos. And did you have any brothers or sisters? Yes, I have a, I have a brother who's still living. Is he in I Brazil? Or? Seen, yes, he's in Brazil. I haven't seen him. You know. and what, what is his name? Uh, Henry, Enrique. Enrique. And he, um, so the family just stayed in Brazil, basically. That's right. Throughout that. Mm -hmm. And is, is, my is, father died first, and then my mother lived very, very long, very long. She, she was considerably over ninety when she died. Yeah. When when did your father die? Was it? Well, uh, you could figure that uh, he was born in seventy-five, nineteen, and I mean eighteen seventy-five. And uh, he was 63 when he died, so so uh, we can get the year that way. Can you? Yeah, that's what I can do. 38? 38? 1938. 38. Yeah, that's, that's correct, because I think we had just moved into this house. Mm -hmm. And your mother lived to be 90. Yeah, was she about your father's age? No, she was older. She was seven years older than he was. My goodness. And, uh, you can imagine it worked out very well. Yeah, that's uh, hmm. Well, is your is your brother in the family business uh, still, or is no? He uh, he was uh, I don't really know too much what he did, but he was uh, in architecture. Uh, probably uh, uh, some planning and drafting. Anyway, anyway, working with architectural firms. Mm -hmm. Is he a younger brother? Yes, he's two years younger. Uh -huh. He's born in 19... Oh, thank you. He was born in 1970. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I think I'm going to uh, take off for a while. I thought myself a consultant to a painting oh, yeah? project, so... Okay. Uh, do you want to give me a call when something yeah, else well, happening don't, here? Yeah, well, don't stay very long in principle. I mean, just... Well, in principle, I won't. 
Because you know, it's just it's just. Uh, it dry, it'll go forever. It just it, it's not as effective. That's true. What you got to do there. That's true. Well, be back in about forty-five minutes. That's correct. I want to help remove some things. Oh, that that's the, the, the muscle, yes. <laughs> but the rest of that is not of physics. Okay. <laughs> um, now, in your father's business, which you talk about, was. Uh, it was meant to me exactly the nature of what he did. I mean, he was involved with designing gardens and installing them, I guess, as well. Yes, yes. Also, as a, in other words, uh, uh, did a great deal of his own contracting. So all the planting and the uh, yes. acquisition he, he, he and the planting had, of plants. Uh, he had uh, what we around here would call a nursery, where he, oh. he raised uh, primarily uh, uh, Certain kinds of stocks, certain types of trees, and things like that that were hard to get around there. And then the ones that were easy to get, he could use them very. Then just he would just deal with, uh, and then, then he would be in principle buying them from his own stock. I see, and he didn't do any actual architectural work. He never did any architecture, and, and it was uh, directly it was just his architecture. Oh, I see. And about how many people? He was very people? knowledgeable about plants. He was a, you might say, he was a, he was a, a trained horticulturist. Mm -hmm. Quite knowledgeable. Yeah. Very knowledgeable about things generally. And, uh, and that's the reason that he originally went to to Brazil because of the temptation of the tropics. To, to yeah, I wondered why. Saying, I mean, it's a living greenhouse, you know. Yeah, is, it, is that really the reason? That's because what, it, uh, the plant culture was so sure. sort of flourishing. He had originally gone to, to Italy as a as a first as a first excursion, you know, into into warmer climates. Oh, I see. And he liked that, and so eventually he, you know. Yeah, it seems like a very big move to make to me, you know. At that point in time, particularly, it was a much more difficult move but it was today. But it was a provident, uh, I mean a provident, I mean it was a, it was a fantastic thing to, to have so, something done to get out of Europe at that time, no matter what the signals were, because a year later, Europe tied, was, was tied up for years to come, and, and in the meantime, people, uh, died left and right from starvation and, yeah. and warfare for six, God knows, five was years, five, four or five years. Good. Well, then, then there was this menace, uh, uh, in a sense, depression, or we call it depression and inflation mm -hmm. that hit Europe. Because it wasn't just Germany, you know, that, that was hit by Right, inflation. Germany was just the worst. That yeah. was the worst. Everybody else really was taking a lot of that. Yeah, it was a good time not to be in Europe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it was very, very lucky. They always thought that they uh, had a guiding star. I guess. Told them to get the hell out of there. Yeah, that's really a foresight of a very basic and useful kind. Um, in his business, like, how many people did he employ? I was trying to get a sense of the, just the size of the business. Uh, do you have any idea about uh, that at this point? Well, he, al he always had uh, one or two uh, uh, foremen. And usually one of these foremen would be a very skilled guy. Mm -hmm. You know that uh, really knew of what he was after, you know, and worked with him for a number of years. And I especially, you know, one man, mm -hmm. I remember especially that way, because I was growing up at that time, you know, so I remember that this man, he was, he was, uh, <coughs> he was a Brazilian, but he had originally, as a, as a young boy, had been, somebody brought him over from Portugal. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was one of these guys who just there wasn't a thing that he couldn't do in the, in the most kind of a, a subtly conspicuous way, never, you know, never showy. Very adept. Very adept. He was, he was short, 
And uh, so uh, we had a nice relationship with his family, too. His people were very nice. And he was one of <clears throat> two foremen? Yeah, usually. then usually there would be another one who would also be, you know, quite quite good. But not usually have, uh, I hadn't worked with my father as long as this man had. So, so each of those men would have had a crew of people working with him installing the designs? Yeah. Essentially? Yeah. yeah. And how about... And I learned from all of these people, you know, like uh, being loud and, and, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, at times, well, I, you know, at like one time when I first started to do some things for, for my father, he, he had just moved and uh, he was doing some things at home in the drafting board, and so I started to sort of kibitz and peek and I'm making suggestions. We soon we had been drawing it. I'd always been interested in drawings. Yeah. In, 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 in just the act of drawing. Mm -hmm. Did you have any, um, that's uh, another thing I was interested in is, did you have a, some kind of active uh, encouragement just in terms of drawing? Uh, 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 I mean, perhaps that would be more so than another uh, boy growing up might have had, yeah. do you think? No, I was, uh, I was attracted to it, and, and uh, my family, mostly my father, made me. He might say, we would say almost made, not an effort, but came, came naturally to him to, uh, to pro provide me with incentives you know, to look at things. Mm -hmm. And I remember at one time when, we, when I was a little bit older, and, uh, and by that time I was really uh, quite useful to him already, and it was interesting. Uh, like when you were 14 or 15 in that period? Well, by the time I was uh, yeah, getting out to 16, 15, 16, and, and, uh, he, uh, Put together a big order of books, art books, and, and uh, architecture, landscape architecture, and so forth. And this is, a, I remember seeing this big ship that it came from Europe. He ordered it to bookstores in Rio. Mm -hmm. And it just came, you know, just came directly to him. And they said, I remember how they're unpacking these enormous boxes with all of these mm -hmm. books. Must have been like Christmas oh, time. Oh, it really was. It was fantastic. And, uh, I still remember basically. The, Sort of impulse that I got. From, at the same time, I was already uh, you know, last year or so in high school. I would, during the summer, I would go and work in, a, in an architect's office. Yeah. Yeah. Now, let me let me ask you a thing <clears throat> to go back a little bit. Because the problem, you see, was there was there was no uh, there was no established uh, architectural uh, I mean landscape architectural tradition. One can learn from my father was one who was by far the most capable and competent person mm -hmm. and had remained out of it for many years. And uh, so you could get architectural training. And uh, so I gradually I earned, I, le I mean, I learned uh, very early to blend what I could get from him with what uh, where the architectural things directly that I couldn't get from him, and mm -hmm. vice versa, what I couldn't get from the architects, I could get them directly. I'm mean, a straight architect, I could get from him. And uh, this really became, I think, became gradually a pattern for the way I, I, did, I did blend many things. Yeah. And my education, generally, in, in, in Rio was to a great extent, and it's very, it's very strange because it's just gone on me. Some years ago, when there was a small college going on here in town, and I was doing some things there, working with these people for a while, and uh, and seeing these kids how they were trying to get their education, that I essentially had done that kind of a thing. Yeah, you, you make reference in the tape to sort of cruising around to different places yeah. and doing yeah. this. 
And what I wondered when I heard that was, um, well, two things. First of all, you graduate from high school or the equivalent of high school. It was, a, it was what uh, it was the, the equivalent of what in Europe they would call all of this was in Rio. Of a gymnasium kind of a thing. A, uh, in other words, it was much more the, uh, much more the, uh, oh, by some of it by far uh, it went beyond what, what would be junior college here. You know, I mean, although some of these kids were young, mm -hmm. it's just uh, it's just the attitude was completely different. Did you study like the, the classics and the Greek language in God, high school? I mean, when we were, we had, uh, uh, I remember at 13 or 14 years of age, we would have the, uh, the guy who was teaching us uh, Portuguese literature, I'd say, but that was, was the main scholar writing the main textbooks hmm. with us. I mean, this was practically like in a university situation, in the most university. The kids don't get it that good. Yeah, and this, was, this was a private school in Rio, yeah, I think? This, this was a Benedictine monastery in Rio. Uh -huh. oh, so, yes. well, they had a fabulous uh, gymnasium, that's what they call it. Right, they yeah. Gymnasium. Huh. And, um, uh, so... Well, so my, qu my question then, then was this, is uh, when you graduate from that uh, institution, um, where specifically were the kinds of places that you, that you did go to to try to pick up this work were there schools that, that were there architectural schools that you actually enrolled at for some first of, of time? all first of all I had already contact with some of the uh, teachers and, and, uh, and the younger people and the offices where I had um, sort of a moonlight as you might say mm -hmm. or, or, or apprenticed a little bit you know during yeah. the summer during the summers and the last the summers were fairly long there you know I mean, the school the school uh, the, the break was yeah, because it was a, it's a very hot climate and they tended to get gotten more like three and a half months, I would say. Actually, about a year. Well, anyway, so um, uh, I knew the I knew these uh, people, and this also coincided with the uh, with the fact. Uh, see, what about the time that I first apprenticed with one of these firms? Uh, that coincided with the uh, World's Fair in Rio in 1922. The yeah the exposition. Yeah, the exposition yeah. and. Uh, so this was a uh, was a uh, quite a moment of ferment display that uh, you know any people in Rio couldn't often see because mm -hmm. there were buildings and they built in different traditions you know, Oriental buildings you know, Chinese pavilion and, uh, and mm -hmm. the Japanese pavilion and of course a great deal of the newer type of thinking and architecture at the moment including of course the Beaux Arts tradition you know, a lot of that was still functional mm -hmm. and uh, so I knew the people. In connection with this, and gradually, I also met through my father different the people. Uh, you know, I had been writing some poetry, and right, yeah. before long, before long, I uh, I got to know the, the real Hungarian poets in Brazil. It's because Brazil, at least in those days, I have a feeling it's still probably somewhat this way. Age has nothing to do with anything. Hmm. You you uh, you know you could you could. Uh, sell something to somebody or present something to somebody, if you can make a reasonable presentation, they're not going to discount the fact that you're young. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just part of the attitude of the country. Mm. And uh, so it's really uh, it was great. So there's no, no all of when I see, you know, when in the years past and I see all of the additions like this and when they been with us here. Was, yeah, 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 it was really a tremendous part. And it was really something already now.
something already now. But the, the, the shyness, with all of the education that he has, you know, mm -hmm. the shyness of, whether, of how to use it, whether will it be accepted, yeah. will I be accepted? Yeah, I think a lot of education, uh, in this country anyways, you know, tends to reinforce certain kinds of authority relationships. Yeah. Which is now, the way I'm speaking, is that loud enough? Because if, that's we, a, well, let's, if we need to, we can put the machine... I think it'll be fine. Let's just check, shall we? Just for a second here. Yeah, this is, it's, it's, it's an amazing uh, machine. No. If, if you, otherwise, if you want to take that stool, you know, if there's any question, that will be on the stool and put it. It's, it's yeah. unobtrusive okay. there. And okay, I love it. I like to see it. It's nice out of the way. Yeah, that's the beautiful you thing know, about just it. Just so you don't have a bad surprise, you know. No, uh, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. after two or three hours of listening yeah. to it, someone will be able to pick it up, no problem. It's, the, uh, uh, we're saying about education. Actually, the way the way this uh, this is, was put together is much more understandable today, in terms of how it's been done and has been done in, in more recent years. The way you people. educated yourself. Yeah. You know? Well, yeah. At at that time, that was that was a maverick way of doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, here's what I what I want what I wanted to, to establish though also was, um, in a sense, the specifics of this cruising around that you did, and the, one of the reasons is that. When you get to Cornell later on, uh, not too much later on, um, you get into a graduate program. And my question was, actually, officially, did you have an undergrad, what they would have called an undergraduate degree, or had you actually kind of gotten around this? I had a, I had a, uh, a number of, uh, of simply, uh, I, you know, had worked with a lot of people. I mean, I, I knew, I knew all of the important people. I had been, had been apprenticed to them, you know? mm -hmm. and uh, so. Uh, at at the time, the uh, I first became a while I was working for Gordon Davis, you know, one time. Uh, and, uh, we'll get into that. Actually, that should be told more in, a, in an order. You know, you know. Whatever. Yeah. Well, you. Yeah. But but just to fill. I've heard the, the plug. Yeah. You know, to plug this thing in a little bit is that uh, uh, there was much more of this adventurism. You know, the question was, uh, what. Proofs did you have of a of capacity, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, a, uh, a a sign of the attitude of this, for instance, is that in Brazil, if if say if a faculty, uh, if they're going to put somebody on the faculty, let's say they elect the guy, you know, the group decides that, that uh, they got three individuals, let's say, that uh, would be candidates for this particular job. Uh, the way they decide that they have the guy give a lecture, maybe, mm. you know. And uh, that is a fantastic test. A, a practical demonstration. Oh, a practical demonstration. You know, and people, and the students go, and the students practically uh, vote for this guy. You know? So to speak. Yeah, yeah because uh, it's part of the attitude of friendship in the 
in German, uh, in English, but especially French uh, academic life that the uh, uh, teachers have followers, and so consequently teachers also have some uh, have some uh, word in, in deciding who they will go. But anyway, so everything there is sort of in the, in the air. So that so when the time came, well, so uh, uh, here I was at Cornell, and I was working for Edward Gordon Davis. You know, he hired me as a as a as his private assistant. You know, I lectured as private assistant. Well, that itself, you see, at least people had had a whole year at Cornell. You see, they knew me for a whole year transaction, both with the, the fact that I was working for the head of the department privately. You see. And obviously, what I would want, you know, if I was a fool, and a, and a fool was hiding for him, that I would want a degree from them, you know. So, so it's a peculiar thing. Well, anyway, so here, here, here's, here are the details of it. So I uh, first, first uh, uh, must have been, uh, it was say in June when I first started to work for him. Let's say I'm not so sure that that's exactly, but that's about, about like that. Yeah, just hanging on that thing. Uh -huh. And. Uh, so as fall came along, by the time uh, by the time classes opened in fall, uh, Gordon Davis, who uh, who was lecturing and, and doing uh, doing some, some laboratory courses, uh, uh, he would come from his office in the local, you know, where I was working for him. This was in the same building in the basement. There. Mm -hmm. And he, while he was making his lectures, you know, he was uh, he sort of discussed this aloud with me while I was working on his work. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, and I was a good listener, and he was a, he was a magnificent talker, a beautiful coordinator. He was one of the locks that I've had. I've always been associated with people who really know how to put something together. Mm -hmm. And uh, one day he said to me, Why the hell should I be telling you this? Why don't you come upstairs and, and sit in on the class? Yeah. Well, then, uh, then uh, uh, a week, uh, week or ten days, you know, or a couple of weeks, let's say, maybe went by. And by and suddenly he says, are you getting any credit for going upstairs? Yeah, right. It's ridiculous. You get yourself some credit for this. And, so, well, and that's what started And so sort of thing just, just got rolling, you know. And uh, so uh, at that time it also was, so it was just a conference of things. So at that time the, the uh, uh, Brazil was wide aware, of, uh, I mean the, both in Sao Paulo and in Rio, but especially in Rio, uh, the necessities were looking into, uh, into city planning. And so city planning was the, the new, uh, you know, thing yeah, emerging, yeah. really emerging with power. And of course, the architects, the ones that have the, at the moment, the architects have the greatest chance they became closer professionally to being in a position to do something. But the landscape architects that were really trained, they had even a better chance, you mm -hmm. see. And that's why Cornell and Harvard, you see, did, did these things. And uh, so at the time, uh, you know, uh, my father was going around, uh, you know, Dealing with the government, with all these people knowing everybody, and they said, "What? Uh, uh, you know, they, you know, they, they also knew me." And they said, oh, "What's what's your kid, what your kid doing? How's he, what are you hear from him?" You know? mm -hmm. And he said, "Well, he's uh, doing this." And he said, "Well, what the hell is he? Is he getting enough uh, city planning?" You know? mm -hmm. And uh, this was a it was a graduate uh, department, you know? and uh, so. Uh, I mean, to my father, that doesn't at the point didn't mean anything in particular. You know, he, he said something. I said, "Well, uh, this, you know, uh, is a question of of, uh, of assessing points here. These people will want to, you know, they want to." Uh, yeah. Uh, Certain bureaucratic. Yeah, they will. They will want to. Uh, since since uh, 
they've had a lot, a lot, they had a lot of foreign students there. They were accustomed to doing it, you know, mm -hmm. and they were trained. So, but there was a question saying, okay, so we, we can't we can't give the exact equivalent for this for this, but we'll do a little trading, see, and so forth. Mm -hmm. But anyway, one day uh, a letter came. My father, I had heard from my father before, and he, and he said, uh, and he said, well, I, uh, you know, we looked into this thing, and they just sent it to him. He says, why don't, why don't, uh, uh, doesn't he make a request to get to go, you know, to, to, uh, to uh, get into the grant? Yeah, to get into, get into this. Okay, now let me, let me ask. This thing. Yeah. And then what happened? Wait a minute. And, and then what happened was that the. They uh, they did this by having a minister of education who was the guy who was the head of all of the public institutions in Brazil at that time. Now they they've broken this up, but at that time, he was like like uh, uh, principal of everything. Yeah, he was above the the, the, the deans of all of the, the schools, and uh, so they they sent a direct. So it was the, the Department of Education sent a direct request. To Cornell University, ah, to admit you to the university, to admit the university, and saying that, you know that, and, and giving some points. Uh, 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 uh. So the net effect was that that you, although you officially had didn't have a piece of paper that That's was right. an undergraduate degree, you had the experience uh, equivalent to it certainly. That's right. Plus you had this official uh, boost, yeah. and the two of them are what got you yeah. officially you see, the, into the, the program. The point of the thing was it was. The thing that, that I, in a sense, was asking uh, uh, accreditation for was for, for something that, that I had done in Brazil but didn't even officially exist there. I had brought it together, you know. Mm -hmm. But the fact that I had received uh, gold medals and various kinds of things in competitions mm -hmm. and uh, with professionals and so forth. So this, this whole thing was, uh, uh, you know, it, is it, if you know uh, uh, something about the Beaux-Arts system, how that used to work in France, uh, you, will, you, you will see some similarity in what I'm telling you about the fact, you know, there's medals for this and medals for mm -hmm. that. You know, that's just, uh, it's like getting a certificate for this, for certificate. Mm -hmm. I, I have a question here about uh, Davis. On, on the tape with Harold, you remark that when you first went to, you describe in great detail this shuttle that you made around New York State from Bryant Fleming and people, oh, and that's great. And that's all for well detailed on that tape, yeah. and we don't need to go over it again, but. Um, you say you, uh, you arrive in Ithaca and you go to see Davis and you showed him some drawings that you had with you. And you say on a tape that, that uh, he might have thought, or perhaps they were a little exotic. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah. it's the word used. And I'm wondering what was the nature of those drawings. Uh, uh, they, 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 uh, they were exotic in the sense that, that they were done with more exuberant colors than, than, than uh, architectural renderings were rendered in this country. Uh -huh. And I and I found that you know as I as I started to work there you know I I, I cooled the, I cooled things down a little bit. You know? They had almost a maybe sort of a like a painterly quality. That's that right. Sense. That's right. Because you see, I was involved in these other things too, and I've been involved in the same damn things all my life. And nothing has changed. As, uh, and I, I never give up anything. Mm -hmm. Always, always uh, come back to the same thing with another facet. The mother of it all is a concern for design. And uh, nowadays, uh, and design uh, got into bad days because when people started to oversimplify simplistically, you know, they were beginning to write formulas, books, you know, to tell people how to mm -hmm. make art, you know, and how to train. It got into upon bad days. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is that, that there was a real grain of, of, of the potent in there, and that is the fact that 
Now we would have to speak of, of being a trained, a professional to me is, a, is one. In all things, we're trained in field relationships. And, uh, in field? Field relationships. Mm -hmm. And this, uh, uh, whatever you know about science will, will, will back you up in this. Mm -hmm. whether, it's, uh, whether it's biology or whether it's physics. And, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, let me, uh, let me go on with some biographical things here. And I have some, some, uh, some things we can maybe just go into landscape architecture further. But let me just see if there's a few other things. That, oh yeah, I, you remarked on it also on the tape with Harold that, that um, or maybe a lecture you gave in Tucson about the piano, and you say, I think that you were tortured as a kid with the piano like everyone. I just wondered about the extent of the, the role of music in your parents' home when you were there. Um, My, did you ever become proficient on the piano at that point? No, never, never. I never became proficient on the piano. And, uh, and uh, the family was very much interested in music. My mother had, uh, had uh, oh, she, she, she was, you know, here she would have been an expert on, on the Italian opera because she had spent uh, quite many years in Italy. And, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, that was in Naples, where it was, uh, the opera world. And that was there. So she knew all of it. Did she sing or play? Uh, she, she didn't play, uh, she did some singing, but, you know, just. Uh, just, but the sense, you know, the sense of music. My father had, had a good sense, but he had uh, you play full well on the piano, so now we always had a nice piano. Mm -hmm. yeah. And here's a curious question, but as I was thinking about all the, the multilingual character of your background, I was wondering uh, what language was spoken in your home in Rio? It was, uh, <laughs> it's actually, it was. Uh, if depending on who was there, for instance, if my, if uh, if my uh, my parents, I mean, my father and mother, and my brother and I, my well, then it was mostly German. Huh. It was mostly German, but uh, uh, well, let, let me let me tell you. Uh, yeah, okay. But well, let me tell you the order, and you'll see you'll see how it fits together. And uh, first, for about three years, I speak anything but Italian. You it, mean as you were growing as up? As I was growing up, a kid in Italy. You know? mm -hmm. And uh, then uh, uh, by the time I was four, and uh, uh, I think around well, there, you know, yeah. started to do some traveling or simply became aware of. So I probably learned German second. Yeah, German second. And then with my mother uh, telling uh, how uh, she was wheeling my brother around, you know, in a, in a, in a baby buggy, you know, and when we were, well, he was already talking, you know, talking about we were talking Italian. Mm -hmm. And this would be in Switzerland and Germany, mm -hmm. and the people, everybody was so surprised to see these kids talking mm -hmm. the language, you know, and they didn't see what he's doing. And, uh, well, eventually, uh, so that was the third, the second, and then, then as we got to Brazil, uh, you know, how kids pick languages up so quickly, and, and in no time we were speaking Portuguese. Mm -hmm. Because it was a long time before uh, our parents caught up with the Portuguese the way we caught up, mm -hmm. you know, so, so quickly. Yeah, that's an ideal age. Yeah, and it's a, absolutely. It's an experience. Now, then my mother, uh, my mother spoke very, very uh, good French, uh, and, and she spoke very, very good German, very good Italian, you know, very fluent. But not so good Portuguese, I think. You said. And not so good Portuguese because it's so that I could see her attitude towards the uh, Portuguese. 
in a, in some way it was a, she understood enough by way of Italian, you know, and why make all these modifications. Right. So in some in and at that time of course my brother and I thought it was ridiculous that they didn't work a little harder at it, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, I can see my attitude towards Spanish. Yeah. You know? Because uh, I I can read Spanish so easily, you know, and I can understand. And, and if people really talk Spanish and, and don't talk too damn fast, you know, or don't talk shorthand, yeah, I don't have any problems. And I can make myself understood once in a while. They say, "Gee, we understand you so well. Well, what, what are you talking? What are you speaking?" <laughs> it's <laughs> not exactly. But it's close. I modify it a little bit, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. And give it a little bit that sing song that Spanish has. Yeah, right. It's Portuguese, a... but I prefer Portuguese. Portuguese is a is is a magnificent. It's probably the, the simplest, most direct uh, remainder of Latin in Europe. You know? mm. and, uh, the interesting little points: the fact that that uh, I can understand more uh, uh, Provençal than the average Frenchman can, ah. you know, just because of the combination. You know? mm -hmm. And then, my, if it doesn't turn out, my father could understand. Uh, he and my wife had studied uh, English literature, being Wolf, and all these things. And my father didn't speak any English, but he, he could do all of the Wolf, you know, all of that. You know. Read the old English. Yeah, for, because of the old German. He knew. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's, a, old it's curious because, I'm, by and large, uh, although the Southwest is an exception, uh, Americans don't have any necessity hmm. for any kind of multilingualism. And, uh, I mean, I, I took Latin for two years, which had the primary effect of uh, essentially widening my English vocabulary, really, mm -hmm. in terms of sort of technical words, or, you yeah. know, the kind of words that come from Latin, and, uh, and some French, which I've never been able to really grasp totally, yeah. although yeah. I can get yeah. by, yeah. you know, and, uh, but in Europe, I mean, I, you know, when I traveled here, I could see that it made some, that the curriculum, which of course had come from Europe, of the languages, Made so much more sense because there, uh, you know, anyone, a workman, a, you didn't have to be a, a very educated person to have a real need to know all these languages. You know, you know it was just a very natural thing in Europe. And uh, if you pick it up when you're young, it's a whole different thing than trying to learn it in high school. Is <laughs> yeah. one of the worst ways. Well, I learned the French in a, in a very funny way, uh, because. There, there was always there were always French books around, and, and uh, mm -hmm. the best bookstores we always had French books. So, and art books had, you know, also had a lot of French. So I was, and my my mother spoke on occasion to her friends. Uh, so it wasn't strange to me. But the fun, the part that's really funny is, here I had a magnificent teacher. Uh, it, was, it was an older gentleman, and uh, also again very distinguished in his field. He was teaching in this gymnasium, this gymnasium. But I was a very poor student in the sense that I, I, uh, I almost never did any homework for any courses. Either I got it or I didn't. Uh -huh. And uh, it's, you know, and so I remember uh, that uh, I always listened to him very quickly. He was very funny and very, lo I mean, he had a logical precision about the way he said things. He was great. Real garlic. Everything, yeah. you know, I mean, really. He was, he was really the model of a Frenchman, like a Frenchman. Uh, would look like you know, the model, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, so uh, I remember one, and I, I knew I just a little bit French, you know, but I remember one day, uh, uh, about maybe uh, maybe uh, a year after, after uh, uh, the last class I had with this man, you know, here suddenly I found myself in a, in a situation with some people that, that I could only talk to in French. Mm -hmm. There I was. <laughs> it's just absolutely like that, mm -hmm. you know. 
And uh, so I work at it there a little bit, you know, not that I was uh, uh, working at it, but just didn't, didn't, uh, didn't shy away from the situations. Mm -hmm. And so by the time, uh, by the time I came to, to, to Cornell, you know, by the time I came to Cornell, which was about 20, I really can carry on a conversation. Yeah. And uh, in the years since, I've, you know, maintained it, not, not so much very lately, but in, in the last, um, Oh, it was so that, so that if I spend a, a week or ten days in France, I'm talking in French. Uh, By the end of that period, that, you uh, can. Yeah, I was traveling with a French person about 1960 for, for a couple of mm -hmm. a week, uh, for two weeks or so. Yeah. God, I was going with great guns. Yeah. I have all I have all this Mediterranean vocabulary. Yeah, right. All so the way across Portuguese, Spanish, yeah, uh, Italian, French, German. Right up to about the yeah. And after a while, you begin to realize that even that even this goddamn idiotic language, English, is put together from a lot of Latin yeah. and a lot of German. Right. A strange combination, but yeah. Oh, it's mad. It's absolutely mad. It is curious when you think that of all the languages that might have logically become a very widespread yeah. language in the world, yeah. English is one of the most perverse in a structural sense. <laughs> it came together. It's a strange thing. I think the most perverse thing in, the, in possibly in the whole history of literature, and uh, to show how, per, how perversions, even perversions, can be overcome, is the fact that uh, that Shakespeare should have been born to English. Mm -hmm. When you think of the magnificent thing that he did with it, making a virtue of the limitations. Yeah, oh. it's just like a guy who wants to be become a sprinter because just because he couldn't walk when he was a kid. You know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> An Englishman become. That's an interesting. Well, let me uh, let, let's talk about Cornell a little bit. Um, of course, I'm the other take the basics of how you got there and went from working for Igor e. Davis to sort of being a student to actually getting into the program. We we no need to go into all that. But uh, here's a kind of a, just a general question. I'm wondering. I went down to Cornell um, a month or two ago and uh, to look at it and so on and. Uh, I have some things I'll show you. That I have your master's thesis. I don't have the, the exact one, but you may be interested to look at. I don't know if you. When was the last time you looked at it? But at any rate, um, but one of the things that impressed me was just how extraordinary a place it is. I mean, just physically, the campus. And of course, it's changed a lot. But even still, the the main old quadrangle where the now the new library replaces next to the old one. You know, all those buildings are essentially intact from the period when you were there, and it's on this hill overlooking the lake. And I just wondered when when you arrived there first. Because you were new to the United States, did you did you sense how extraordinary it was, or did you accept it as being the norm? You know, what was your feeling? This was a most extraordinary experience, and I couldn't have been luckier. Although I realized that that after a while, you know, knowing a little bit more how college campuses looked and like, and also the fact that it was generally a planning problem, so I would, I soon knew what campuses looked like, even places that I hadn't been, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, I realized what a magnificent thing, and I remember, you know, writing back to my father, uh, these, these uh, unbelievably beautiful uh, oaks and, and, uh, and uh, elms that were in their prime at that, mm -hmm. at that time. Since then, of course, they've taken several of those big elms down. And yeah, in front of Whitehall, there's one big stump. Mm -hmm. and, just and a stump. They just took that and took that down. Yeah, I have that here, actually. I can find it. And all that stuff. I have a I have a, a, a present day map of the campus, and just for fun, 
Yeah. I was looking at uh, an older map when I was there in the archives. Yeah, and let's do Alex. Alex was spent two years in Cornell also. Well, the one I, the ones I shaded in were the ones that were there uh, when you were there, yeah, and then right. everything, or mostly. Anyway. So here, here was the, uh, the, the light hallway for the basement. You know that basement door. You, you probably, uh, you I didn't. I didn't explore the building. Build. I was only in the library, but and just. Oh, you didn't but I wondered if you were aware of this campus store. It's a very interesting thing they've done there. No, this doesn't didn't exist that way that in those days. This is a kind of a place that uh, was a sort of a swampy little place, I guess. There's a, this is right at the crest of the hill, going yeah, up from yeah, the lake. Yeah. And what they've done is they've built a bookstore underground so that the crest of the hill is still intact. And all you see is a skylight and entrances cut in. No, I, I didn't. Uh, I see, that, that was built in more recent years. It's quite recent, and I was... Yeah. I really thought that was a, a beautiful solution to preserving the basic well, flow of the underground. If, if somebody here was planning a campus, and I suggested that they build a lot of it underground. Yeah, well, it you know, might have been harder in the rocky terrain here. Yeah, Cornell, because, it because it depends on the way you do it. But if you can do it, yeah. it's just magnificent. And, and from the standpoint of the environment, if you have a beautiful environment to protect, what a deal it is. Yeah, you don't, you don't see this bookstore. And of course, the, it, it's funny because it has no substance as a building on the ground plan. Just the entrance here, <laughs> yes, and the entrance there, and, and the skylight. All of this. <laughs> it's all under there. Yeah. And it, it preserves this beautiful uh, grassy knoll that's the very topmost point overlooking the lake. I was really uh, amazed by that. Yeah, you're, you're correct. These are the main buildings that were there in here, and here the Baker, Tyler Baker building down here. Yeah, yeah there may be others that I didn't uh, know. And I well, you see, I also, also had the chance to go uh, Gordon Davis was uh, uh, also uh, in charge of the planning of the campus at the time. Uh -huh. He had a lot to say, and, and he was a design advisor. Now, I know he did so some... I did a lot of work, you know, I did a lot of drawing on what was done. In, and the Cascadilla in, here? And, and not in, I, no, not, I didn't work in here, but I remember we did a lot of work on Fall Creek. Fall Creek in this, this area in here. Uh, a landscaping type, yeah. type planning room. Yeah. Well, um, let me see, let me see. Well, that's, that's interesting. I thought that might interest you a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. And I wanted to uh, to talk about some of the faculty uh, as well as uh, Davis. Um, and I have here, this is a thing out of that, the 1927 catalog, which just lists the now, faculty. Did you just, just walk in there and get these copies? Were you able to get copies? They have a university the archives oh, oh. that maintains all this. And where's the archives now? It's, it's in the main library now. I see. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very, they were very helpful. And, um, that's, and I have another copy of that. That's just a list of the people. You, and I, you had referred to some people. Uh, according to the note on your thesis, you studied with Davis and his man, um, Chuchard, I believe. Is it, or Chuchard. Chuchard was his name now. Chuchard. Was he the person who was interested in the Italian Renaissance and so on? No, referred uh, to? It, was, uh, it was actually, Chuchard was, uh, was a... Uh, uh, but that, I, that I couldn't give you the exact thing, but Chuchard was an architect, was a retired architect who had been uh, taken on as a teacher uh, there, you know, because of his great experience as a designer and, and also his, uh, he was really a specialist in city planning problems. He had, mm -hmm. I think he had been uh, originally uh, located in Milwaukee. Mm -hmm. And uh, just during the time I was doing this, uh, uh, this work there, graduate work, this, in other words, my second year in Ithaca. Right. Uh, he was the 
he was the one who was uh, lecturing, and and, uh, and it was most mostly they were mostly they were seminars in in uh, in, 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 uh, in uh, city plan. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, uh, that's very important. That's important. But more important than this is uh, this thing that you're in a track of, and that is what relationship to the Italian Renaissance, you see. Uh, who had and, you, know, you mentioned a particular person who was on the campus who you said uh, was aware of these things and who, with whom you could converse about them and you know interact about them and I wondered if it was one of these professors or if it was well, someone else not in this department uh, uh, Gordon Davis you know, had a passion for Italian uh, landscape architecture and mm -hmm. he was really a specialist in these things and whenever he could take a summer off he would go to, to Italy and uh, put in a few more months traveling yeah. or maybe go to England and look at a few gardens there too. But, uh, it, so he was very, very knowledgeable. But the, the guy who, in a sense, really backed us up was a, was a student of his from, uh, from quite a few years before that by the name of, uh, of um, Edward Lawson. Ah, Lawson. Yeah, yeah, I see his name on here. Yeah, G. G. Lawson. Lawson. He had been a student of Davis's. And yeah, he, was... he had been a student of Davis's, and he had been a uh, he had been a uh, 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 robe at the American Academy room. Uh huh. And uh, so uh, Gordon Davis sort of sort of deferred to him when it came to questions of, of real real knowledge about the structure and the, and, the, and the details of these things. Lawson had spent the greater amount of time. He was a real specialist. Oh, they see. also did a little bit of consulting together on landscape architecture problems. Uh huh. Okay. Well, so that's an interesting thing. Now, what about uh, Phelps? It was listed as having something to do with uh, the history of these things. Was Phelps, I, I took a, I, I remember taking a course uh, in uh, the history of architecture. Huh. Uh, general European architecture uh, with Phelps. He was, he was quite an old gentleman by then, and I think he retired just about. Uh, a year or so after I left there. Yeah, with all these people, did it take you, uh, did you have to make a transition between your original idea of sort of working in an office or an apprenticeship situation when you came to the United States and, and the school format? Did that? Well, no, 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 the, no, no, the only interesting thing of this is that, that uh, uh, that's exactly what I've been doing all my life. Because I was doing both, you see. I was, you see, I was, uh, I was attending lectures wherever, and seminars wherever. You know, it was important that I explore them. You see, I explored. I was accustomed, I'd like, to explore things just like people did in Europe, and and uh, and eventually, it became so. In the last few years, in this country, people are beginning to you know, do a little bit more exploring, and not just buying a course, you know, uh -huh. and, and subscribing to it. Uh -huh. 